This is Life I Swear, where we share stories and reflections from Black women about trials in their lives that have helped them heal, connect, and process. Every week, we hold space for storytelling that both challenges and inspires us to be good to ourselves. I'm your host, Chloe Dulce Livueso. You may have heard of Hanahana Beauty, a handcrafted sustainable shea butter line produced by a cooperative of women in Ghana. They were one of our sponsors in season one. The brand's founder, Abuna Bawama, has had an interesting road to entrepreneurship in wellness and has since approached wellness holistically. In this episode, Abuna shares what that journey was like, why it's important to examine how systems meant for our well-being and wellness miss the mark, and how we can redefine them in our own ways. I love this conversation because it addresses so many of the frustrations I've personally encountered in my own work in my career in education, but also helps us ask and answer, how do we dismantle what we've been taught to believe about the effectiveness of systems? What are the alternatives to serving others in wellness? And how can we channel our anxieties to unlock our creativity? Thank you, Abena. You can join our community on Instagram at Life I Swear, and be sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter to get updates on upcoming episodes by visiting lifeiswear.com. And now, let's get into it. Avina, I so appreciate having you here, and I'm just so glad we've been able to connect because your work and your voice and Hana Hana Beauty itself are all amazing, and we'll get into how Hana Hana came to be, but first I'm so curious as to how it almost became a symbol, um, but also, as you've explained it, also a catalyst for how you view wellness. Yeah. Um, and I love that you've spoken about wellness in such a holistic manner. But before I get to that point of how you kind of fully came to understanding that, can you share a little bit about what other areas of wellness um, you explored before launching Hanahana Beauty? Of course. Amon, thank you so much for having me. I like love that we're able to do this right now. Like everyone's just take, making the time just have conversations. So I'm really happy to be here. Um, yes. So before I started Hana Hana, like as a kid, I've always been like that kid that was really interested in like, how can you help people? Can I be a nurse? But then it was always like to the most extreme, like the brain, you know, like I was so into the brain. Like my dad, I always like talk about this. <laughs> like my dad like realized as a kid, I was like obsessed with tigers and he was like, not nah, my child cannot. <laughs> this is way too basic. Like I need you to talk about the brain. I need you to be into it. Um, so when I went into, you know, undergrad and things, I went to study psychology and I studied math and also education because I just always felt, I don't know, I just always felt like the way for me and how I work well with people is to either like teach 
or to like help you talk through things, you know, just help you in some type of way because I realized, you know, that brain scientist wasn't for me. <laughs> so I went to grad school for, I went to undergrad for that and then went into the medical field, like mm-hmm. actually working with behavioral, like children with behavioral disorders, working with the summer treatment program and working with the clinic and running that and doing those stepping stones of what I thought I would be doing to fulfill my purpose. Yes, Mm -hmm. I'm in that space, I'm helping people. As I like reflect, and I feel like through quarantine, a lot of us have been reflecting, I keep on looking at the fact that like, why I was so frustrated in these positions, I'm doing the things that you say we're supposed to do. Like our mission is supposed to help people. Like we're a behavioral center for children with behavioral disorders. Why are we saying we can't? Why are we saying we can't do this because of insurance? You know, like we're not fulfilling our actual mission. If we are not fulfilling it, let's change it. So I ended up leaving that position and then I taught. So I was, I feel like wellness in that sense of education, mm-hmm. right? I even started as a gym teacher, to be honest. Like wow. I was a gym teacher and I came into the school. I was a gym teacher. I was a math person. And then they moved me into a full math teacher position because I was an athlete in um, school. So that was a whole thing where it was like, oh my God, I have this responsibility as what, a 23 year old. I already had a responsibility as a director in a health space. Now I have a responsibility where I'm like, molding children's lives like like, that's kind of how I looked at it because I'm just like wow like these kids are spending seven eight hours with me I'm supposed to be teaching them something but to teach someone something you have to make sure their environment they can take it Mm -hmm. in they can understand you know and again I kind of saw that same thing our mission is to educate children the exact school mission that we had it was like looking at holistic learning right but it was again it was like we're not doing that for everyone we're still I'm still getting fight back to do that because of my administration, I'm not able to fulfill the actual needs of what I'm supposed to do or help this child or not be harmful. Those were the kind of things. And during that time, I went to grad school. Like I went mm-hmm. to grad school because I realized right away as a teacher, I think we talked about this, like my first week of teaching, a student let me know that they were sexually assaulted and had that experience. And it was just this is the first week of school. A child feels one comfortable enough to let me know too. Like I can only connect with this child because I'm your teacher, yes, because I'm your advisor or whatever, but also because I've been a victim too. Like Mm -hmm. I can only connect on that. I know that's not the best, that's not the only way I really should Mm -hmm. in this position. So that kind of drove me to go into the therapy route. I did that now because, you know, every elevation, it was just like, how can I gain more information or knowledge to be able to do these things, like help people think Mm -hmm. through things or learn better. And so then I was a therapist, like I was doing that. And it just, I felt like the same thing kept happening. You know, it's like, we're doing what the mission says, but I'm getting fight back. I'm told, wait a little bit, not just yet. It just was really frustrating. And I mean, in that time is when I was doing Hanahana stuff. So it was easier for me. Like people ask like, was it easy for you to move to just doing Hanahana? I feel like it was just like a buildup of, okay, I can just build a brand and say this is the mission and actually fulfill the mission. If I want my mission to be about education and wellness, then I need to look at it in all my experiences, how I can provide to, you know? Mm -hmm. I totally get that. I am like sitting here shaking my head. um, (laughs) I'm talking too much. (laughs) No, no, no. I mean, I have um, worked in the education ecosystem for organizations and philanthropy 
that support education now for 13 years. And so I can definitely understand how limiting approaches, both in education and therapy. I've not done therapy, but I've sat on the chair many of times, but how limited they can be in addressing the whole child or the whole person. And that's what holistic really means. What were some of the most frustrating aspects of working in education and how did it make you rethink what education looks like? I just feel like I'm going to be very blunt. I'm so many things frustrated. <laughs> so many things frustrated me. It frustrated me that I was, the responsibilities I had, I was only getting paid 30K starting rate or that I had to like prove to get a raise and like I was ended, like those types of things that frustrated me. But the real frustrations was the accountability that we hold up as teachers. I think about this and I always tell people this, yo, look back, think about your history teacher. What did your history teacher tell you? Did you grow up learning that Abraham Lincoln freed the slave? That was a narrative you grew up with. You grew up with a teacher that was not being fully honest with you. Mm -hmm. So we're growing up with educators that are holding barriers to real education, to mm -hmm. information, to things that can mm -hmm. inspire children, grow and move and learn more in a way. Right. The accountability that I feel like is being held level, not just like you're in class, you're in, you're doing the test scores, but like the accountability of is this teacher someone that's going to come into the classroom and really find different ways to make sure that that student can learn from them. And not only is this teacher, but is this administration, like the accountability accountability of the administration. Mm -hmm. I think it's just this full accountability system. Right. The education system does not work. It really doesn't. Mm -hmm. People burn out. Your good teachers burn out. Even if a good teacher doesn't burn out, people, and then students are still not fully being prepared. It's just the whole setup is not meant for success for all of us. Right. And it is very cookie cutter. And it's like when you try to fit education into a structure that doesn't work for everyone that doesn't that isn't personalized yeah. that's not designed to meet the needs yeah. of black and brown students you're actually not effective in doing in educating at all I'll give you like an example like petty things that have happened when you're like wait what so like i mean i was an advisor and i remember one time i had a student who I think is one of the smartest students I've ever had. Literally, Brianna, if she's ever listening to this, I think she's one of the smartest students I've ever had. So innovative. She's ex like, experienced so many things in her life. She can take in information, mm -hmm. you know? She's a very independent, confident Black woman from the West Side. She understands who she is. She knows this. And she had told me that her math teacher, she did not feel comfortable in the class. And I feel like for a student to, one, come to a teacher and say those words, that means a lot already so let's like let's just analyze that right so that for me if any student i don't care if students are you know making or whatever about it or just being a little dramatic like i'm gonna let's let's talk about it why don't you feel comfortable and in that she was like yeah the teacher compared me to a monkey like literally no. compared my loudness to a monkey as a joke like and she thought it was funny after that i just feel type away and i'm like oh, i feel type away too like i'm not trying to let alone talk to someone i wouldn't want to learn from someone that's teaching a whole class, making jokes off of because she says I'm being too loud or I'm doing something. So now I don't want to be in class. So now I'm not going to do my homework. Now I'm not really going to care. And that's exactly what was happening. And so then I was like, well, we don't, we don't want to go down that whole road. Let's just address this because I would hope 
that this teacher would understand why pairing a black student to a monkey in their loudness or whatever is very problematic. We would hope, right? Our conscious bias, our blah, blah, blah. Like, we would hope. The amount of work it took to have this conversation with this teacher from to just send her an email and be like, hey, um, and it wasn't like, hey, Brianna does not want to be in your class. I was like, yo, I think something might have happened where Brianna is saying that she doesn't feel as comfortable in the classroom right now. And it went from not responding to my email because you you think my approach was not whatever. And then dodging me in the hallways or like when I do come to talk to you and tell you that a, a student doesn't feel comfortable, now you're offended. You're offended because another teacher is letting you know that there's a student that usually does very well in your class, you've seen a drop, and they're telling you they don't feel comfortable. Like, I feel like as a teacher, I'd be like, well, why? Why don't you feel comfortable? Like, I need you to, you know? And it was like, it took me having to CC principals on it to make sure that we got this meeting. And then even in that meeting for that teacher to cry, to have to try to use her tears for me not to address what was going on, to tell me that, you know, I'm a math teacher and I'm a mother. I'm a math teacher. I'm not a mother, but I'm a math. Like, these are things that teachers have to deal with. And then on top of that, they're teaching students. When I'm a black body in a school that I'm having to deal with this or I'm having to defend why we're doing a natural hair product or I'm having an office assistant come in my room questioning why me, a math teacher, is teaching rates and percentages and comparing them in incarceration rates. This is so unnecessary. And like as a, if you're admin, you should be making sure that this isn't happening in your school. Right, because when you don't, when you're not, when teachers are not intentional about that, there's this huge blind spot of like taking Brianna for example she's like if I feel uncomfortable I don't feel like learning I don't feel like going to school you're not just like damaging the self-confidence of that student you're damaging their potential you're damaging like their trajectory like they it's like teachers who who have that blind spot and just adults generally like do not understand the impact that it all trickles down. And that's like why wellness and education, I think are so connected because you have to, you have to have this wellness bubble um, of support and love and in order to be engaged in learning. Yeah. Um, And that's why, I mean, because anxiety is disabled learning. That's the thing, right? That's the, out of, if I got one thing from my my undergraduate or graduate degree is that when you have high levels of anxiety, your learning disables. You're not able to intake Mm -hmm. things. You're not able to experience things. That's why social anxiety is a thing. You're unable to socialize, which means you're unable to receive a learning experience. When you're too anxious to have a conversation with someone, you can't even get what they're going to say to you. Mm -hmm. Our students are going through so many different things. We know this. Like, how do we know all these, we know these ratios of this and the statistics of where our students are coming from. And we get all this money for underprivileged and blah, 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 blah. But yet we don't use that information that we receive to holistically like educate them or make sure their wellness, Mm -hmm. like, you know, we're giving demerits on like not having a pencil instead of being like, well, why don't we have a pencil? Right. Okay, let me have like, and we are doing that, but it's just like, is that the whole scale? Is that what we're building our education system on? No, it's just not. And I think everything that's going on right now, people are realizing like a lot of shit has to be burned down and start all over. The education system is one that is 
systematically oppresses black and brown people, systematically oppresses black women especially and yet we still are always the people that are like building our way through we're always you know what i mean so it's like what would happen if we didn't have to do all this burning down and like breaking down yeah. and whatever you know it's just it's too much it's yeah. just too much what would we be doing how would we be spending our time if we weren't spending it on this deconstructing then rebuilding then redesigning fixing how would we be using our energy? Our, like there, there may be less people working in education or social justice in a, on a mission to like correct those things, and they would be like channeling their their gifts in other ways. That's unfortunate. It's like, and I feel like that question is happening so much right now, right? That question, I'm like, wow, where would we be if this was happening, right? Like, I was listening to something recently about people aren't familiar with how the French are like wild colonizers. They were crazy colonizers. And these aren't like, they had an independence tax. Like, that is a thing. They were like, okay, we won't colonize you anymore, but you have to pay us or else we will. And it was talking about how Haiti spent over a hundred years having to pay the French back $2 billion to say, please don't invade us after we broke free from rape. And like that question, he was like, what would have happened if we didn't have to spend all that money? Like these descent, like there's still off the narrative now. It's like, after we realize this, right? And understand like a lot of these things that have been going on and can even paint this picture of what would we be like? Now it's like, okay, we know this. What, how can we get to what we could be like or what we want to be like, mm-hmm. you know? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. There has to be this restructuring still of how can we move in that direction. And I think in that restructuring has to do with wellness of our bodies. Mm-hmm. really comes back to how do we take care of ourselves too and yeah. fully like open our mind to what we can do, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So when you were a teacher, you've been here, it was like 2012 um, in Chicago. Yeah, 2013. 2013. That was like around the time of Trayvon Martin was murdered. But how did the environment either of the school or of the country, the city, how did that trigger you to pivot? I feel like the Trayvon Martin happened. I think the Mike Brown one really messed with me. It feels even just weird saying the Mike Brown death. Right. But... The death of Mike Brown and the atmosphere of 2015, 2017, as I was teaching, there is like a lot of emotion, right? Like, like I was in my mid-20s, I was like 25, 26, and that time I was exhibiting, like I was fully understanding what anxiety meant, right? Like I felt like college was like my, oh, you, like, this is what you've been feeling. <laughs> a name to it, like, you know, I was in therapy and doing that stuff. I felt like I was also in therapy during this time too and in grad school, but I was like, I just had anger. Like there was this like full emotion of anger that I hadn't really tapped into. And it was like kind of scary. <laughs> like I don't know how else to say it, but I felt really disconnected. Like I was very active in the community and doing a lot of things and whatever, but I did feel very disconnected fully in my body or like spiritually or like connected to God. Cause I, I think I was just so angry. I didn't even think I could, like, I was doing a lot of things. I was really active in my church, and I had to, like, actually stop because I was just like, nah. 
<laughs> like, I, I can't do this right now. It doesn't seem like it's coming from a place. Mm. And I was very involved in the community spaces, doing stuff with the Sada's daughters, doing stuff with, as a teacher, you're just involved. You're doing a lot of different things. And that's why I even got involved with the Sada's daughters. Like, I was getting the information, receiving it, being a teacher in grad school where you're learning about policies and theories that you're like, nah, that's not how it works. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, no, okay, okay, at-risk theories, like, relax. <laughs> you know, like, where I'm just like, I feel like I'm sighting, I'm like out here just like, but you know, it was just like a lot of energy and I, I was becoming very aware. Yeah. And I was then like having to fulfill things like my wellness or like, you know, taking care of myself with like a yoga class with black women. I've done yoga all the time, but going to yoga on a Sunday with a bunch of black women talking about our feelings and then meeting stretch and then like hanging out with, it was like, oh wow, this feels very different. Mm -hmm. I feel better when I'm doing these exact things. Mm -hmm. And when I'm doing these other things, I don't feel good. How can I still do those other things, but not in that space? Like, is it I don't like to teach or I don't want to do therapy or is it that I want to do those things, but in a different atmosphere? And then I went back to Ghana and I was like, oh, wow, Uh, the United States has a level of anxiety that Ghana doesn't. And it's because I'm a black person in the United States and now I'm a black person in Ghana. And that those two anxieties are just like, I don't want to deal with this one. Whoa, I feel a lift. It was just weird. I was like, wow. Was that your first time home to Ghana? That was my first time home to Ghana as an adult. I lived in Ghana as a kid. I went back um, as a kid too. But as an adult, this was my first time going back. And I went back by myself. And I went back, like, I went back with a mission. Like, I want to learn about Shay. And I just want to kick it in Ghana. Like, that was the only thing I had. I was like, I know my cousins are there. I know my family's there. I speak tree. I can figure it out. And I want to go to Tamale. I just wanted to hang out. I wanted to see how Ghana was. I had been doing this thing in the summers where I would live somewhere else. I lived in New York. I like I would go places for extended times. And I was just like, each time I go somewhere, it's like, could I live here? I'm like scanning everything. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm scanning everything. I'm looking at the art. I'm looking at how people live. I'm looking at the cost of living. What could inspire me creatively that I could just like dive into? Exactly. That is my first question before I even land like that is my mission to accomplish like the answer to that question before I leave so that I can have this like list of places right no exactly that's how I move like it's so good like I feel like I do that with Costa Rica like I'm like oh my god Costa Rica is perfect I love this place I was just like I'm I think this realization of like okay I'm in this generation where I'm the first person other than my brother to be born here Mm -hmm. so if my parents didn't come here I wouldn't have ever been born here. Mm-hmm. I might not be here in general. But I can have my children anywhere. Like this feeling, right, coming out of all this stuff. Like, oh my gosh, um, I can go somewhere else. I can yeah. like live somewhere else. I don't, I'm not attached here. And I think after I stopped teaching too, because my students were my attachment. I love, I still love them so much, but I just felt like I could not leave them. Like, But I think it was like, no, you need to leave so then they can actually see you. And that's mm-hmm. why it was a good thing because yeah. it was like, my teacher is out here on social and then selling and then like in Ghana, like yeah. they can, oh yeah, Miss Blama was, you know? So it's yeah. like, I want to be your connection. I want to be your connect, yeah. you know? That is so, so important. There are so many ways to experience 
black experience in the world. Unfortunately, in the US, the country does just a good job of limiting our understanding of those possibilities. Seeing someone else who looks like them, your students, seeing you, knowing what's possible. Yeah. You know? And I think just like this, it's like beautiful that you can do that. And I feel like it's just like this. I feel like the more we're honest with ourselves, the more experiences we can get, the more we can like share with people mm -hmm. and, you know, and yeah. yeah. Tell us about how when you started Hannah Hannah, how it was like a refuge for you to kind of recenter yourself. Yeah, I think what was really great when like now looking back at everything, it's been three years and I feel like we're at this growth spurt now. I literally just went into Hannah Hannah, like when we write this, like in our grandsons, it was honestly like just curiosity and like black women and then i was just like wait shea butter like i grew up with shea butter like my mom made shea butter ash i literally i didn't have to go buy anything when i started making hana hana or like started making shea because i had just blocks of shea butter in my house like i literally had it hidden and so for me it was first it started out of when i make this it's fun and every time i put it on my body it makes my skin feel good and then now it was like it became then how can i make this better or how can mm -hmm. I make all the products? Or how can I learn about it? Like, you know, learning about the benefits, you know, all that stuff. I think if I stuck on that path, it could have been like any other brand. But I think the mm -hmm. this connection and understanding and wanting to really learn about these women, these producers, these farmers, their stories behind how they got from literally the Shea Nut to like what we put on our body. That is, I think, what changed and even really fully drove like Hana Hana. Because I don't think I would, I, I mean, I feel like I could do a lot of things if I really wanted to, but it's like, why? Like, what's the point? <laughs> I'm just going to do something, you know? I think for me with Hana Hana, it was just like, wow. Especially when I went back to Tamale, I got to meet these women that use their whole body to make raw materials for me to whip and make up to put on my body and I know at the end of that I feel good like I just know at the end of that whole process I'm gonna feel good so I feel like for me to get to that whole process of me feeling good those women should feel good too and it's like mm -hmm. if I'm deliberately gonna create a company that's using their product the only reason why I could have Hana Hana do this is because of them so it's like I have a chance to build a brand so I have now this choice do I make it as sustainable as possible or do I not do I care about the people that are making the production, yes. How do I care? Can you pay more? Okay, in the beginning, I really couldn't. Yeah, but you're just going to pay as much as you can. Okay, now we can pay twice. We can pay twice what they asked for. Now, oh, you have access to healthcare. Oh, healthcare is a thing. Like, it was all conversation with these women. It was all about the past three years. Like, we've formed a relationship. I know people by name. Like, when I go and see Samantha, it's about a real conversation. Mm -hmm. And, like, they're asking how I'm doing and I'm asking how they're doing. For seven months, I would have manager meetings where I would just literally drop, go up to Tamale, fly to Tamale every month and meet with the managers and talk to them about how do we look at, you know, your production to actually make it more sustainable or make it more accessible or, oh, you need machines. I, I didn't know you guys thought about, like, you don't want to do that whole process with your hands like that. Like, I don't want to assume. Yeah. Oh, there's actually machines out there. And I think that's what it came. It was like, I really come into Hana Hana with no assumption because I think that's just my, my background and, like, working in non-profit yeah, things, you know? I was going to say, that's the difference between how you serve and how education systems serve. It's like a blanket you know, they, they blanket and, and assumptions of, of what the communities or the women, the students need, that could like be the difference between impact and 
destruction, honestly. And it's just like, what can you really do? You know, like just naming what it is. Like I try so hard not be vague with mm -hmm. our mission and be like continuously, like even changing it and like mm -hmm. updating it. Like there was a moment where like, we weren't paying two times and we were paying like 72% more. And I know no one needs to really know that, but it's like, no, we're not going to say we're paying two times if we're not doing that anymore. If we can't do that right now, if we can only pay it this or whatever. So I think it's just like this level of transparency that I, I wanted to make sure to build a foundation where this is it. So that when any investors or when anyone comes in, it's like, well, for three years, we've been building a foundation about sustainability. That means everything has to be sustainability mm -hmm. from our production to literally our consumers. And that's why we, you know, we really talk about the product and share the stories. And that's why people see the imagery, you know, and there's a connection to it. It's just not like, some woman, you know, there's a brand story and that I try to be very intentional about our brand identity and our story because it's not just my story. It's about people. Like it's about being real, mm -hmm. you know, about what I can't lie about what we're actually doing. Cause that's someone's life. Mm -hmm. How can I say we're doing a healthcare if we're not? What does that do? And I'm using your imagery to, to do what get press. We have to do what we're saying we're doing. <laughs> Without exploiting anyone that's part of the process. Yeah. Right. I, I love that. I'm seeing so many, so many black women latch on to this movement of, transparency in their processing of either their product or their yeah. feelings <laughs> but why do you think now is like is the time i'm sure it's so interconnected with what's mm -hmm. happening in the world and in the country but i feel like this is our time yeah i feel like it's like always been our time like i feel like it's always been the time to be transparent mm -hmm. i feel like it's more than ever now because you see other people you have those examples right like we're, right. there's more and more examples of transparent black women mm -hmm. i always tell people that if you're able to listen to a conversation where a black woman is just being honest, you're lucky. You are blessed mm -hmm. because you're going to receive something because there's never been a moment where I have not learned right. from a black woman. Even if they're the worst person ever or even if I don't like them, I'm learning something. I'm learning something about myself. I'm and I just think that right now, there has to be an understanding with black women in general that at the end of the day, how these systems are structured up and everything we are always at the last we're at the end for them like when it comes to mindset about thinking about how it will benefit us we're at the bottom of it and if it seems like we're at the top with it of their mindsets in this system it's only to benefit them and i think that's a really hard thing to like comprehend mm -hmm. even as i say that i'm sure people are like okay girl like and it's like no it's the truth that's why we're all like yeah that's actually that's real I feel like when you get that realization, I think you can move differently because you're just like, if I don't do my best or if I do do my best, you're still not, it's not still going to be built for me. So like, like I, I'm going to operate at my best. Like I'm, I'm just going to have to keep moving. I think that's how I move. Like if I do or if I don't, the harm can come to me. Like, I don't know. Like, I think that's, I, maybe I have that experience and came a bit even easier because of my experience when it comes to sexual assault because mm -hmm. it's like we're told all our lives like don't wear this don't wear a short dress don't do that but like i got assaulted in sweatpants so like that theory is now broken right like i can say that like because it's just like that's how crazy the things that we've been told like we're told all these things if you do this it'll happen this way if mm -hmm. you do this it'll happen this way and i think it's just like 
we got to pick and choose where we're hearing these things from mm-hmm. and really just realize, though, in all of it, even if we do this or even if we do that, this is what that system is. So either you help to break down that system down and you can say that's what you're doing or you can be like, F that system. I'm going to figure out ways to grow, do my own mm-hmm. thing or I'm going to use that system and still benefit me. I'm going to use that system and drop y'all because I don't really care about the other ladies. Like, you know, just like mm-hmm. be real about where you stand. Yeah. I think it's hard as black people to say that. But I wanted to go back to what you said a bit earlier about and you mentioned this when we talked last anxiety facilitating learning and last time we spoke it just like rang in my ears after we hung up because it's it's nerve-wracking anxiety it's like we have this love hate relationship with it because it can either trigger the best or the worst of us but I think when you channel channel it or you manage it well it can kind of be this like springboard for action or curiosity or like new behaviors or new dreams like hana hana but how has anxiety around all all of the things that we're talking about kind of propelled you into this learning journey of your own I had a therapist once that said one of the hardest things one about anxiety or trauma, experiencing trauma, is not the post-traumatic stress actually from it, is accepting post-traumatic growth. Mm. Like being able to be like, the reason why I experienced this growth is actually because of this trauma that inhibited my growth, right? Mm -hmm. And I think, I say that because every experience that we have is a learning experience. To even look at every experience as a learning experience, you have to break down a level of your anxiety at one point. And that's how disabling anxiety is. Like, if you cannot be not, that was not a learning experience, that's because that's anxiety disabling you even mm-hmm. being able to get to that point, mm-hmm. right? And I think with Hanahana and all these things, like, I'm a, I'm a very anxious person. Not just an anxious person, but, like, I have generalized anxiety. I experience seasonal affects. I'm aware, and I know of its effects. And I also know of, like, the strengths, too. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, like, I'm a very high-functioning person. I can be very anxious and get a lot. Like, some of my best things, I yeah. came out of full anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> full depression mode of just, like, going in and, yeah. like, focusing, you know? Yeah. So I think it's, like, I'm not saying everyone has anxiety, but I think as a black people, if I'm talking to black people, if I'm talking to black women, if I'm talking to people of color, that's what I'm talking to right now. We have experience levels of anxiety of things that will excite our anxiety and if you're at a place where you're unable to even get to that point just yet that's because of anxiety so if you can be like oh wait yeah that is the point of it you know and it really does like I think about my experience as a therapist I was in a behavioral space where I was seeing basically like emergency room people Mm -hmm. all the time different types of cases And then also doing clients, just like my clients, you know, in that space too. My anxiety level was high. I was taking in every patient. I was not able to fully detach myself in the ways that I could. Mm -hmm. I could not do it. I couldn't. It was disabling certain levels of learning, of filling things fully out or something like just getting it fully, you know? Mm -hmm. And it was like, it was so funny during that time as I think back because it was like, I had this, you know, supervisor that we talked about anxiety, we talked about how it disabled learning, we talked about what it does. And we're talking about how this is giving me anxiety. And then this connection of like my performance level was never connected back to maybe it's not because I just can't learn or like 
maybe it's all connected to the things that we've just been talking about. Therapy is not, it's not only textbook knowledge. It's not, there's a different level of empathy that is a skill set to, to deliver therapy. And it's like just as much as you want to receive education, you need to yeah. want to receive emotional education because there's emotional mm -hmm. intelligence. If we're looking at these things, every, ex literally, I don't know how else to say it, but every experience is a, is a learning experience. It's how you take from it. And we can all have one experience and take one thing differently from it. What would you say to Black women who are experiencing anxiety? What do you do to give yourself grace as an educator leading by example? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's so hard. Starting with just like taking a breath. <laughs> I know that seems like, but like honestly, just like taking a second and assessing how you feel. I think it starts at that. If you can go from there, take a, a next breath of like, why are those things? Why are you feeling this way? Is it a person? Maybe it's deeper than a person. Maybe it's exactly what they did or it's they mm -hmm. triggered something. When you keep going back, you can get to that point of where that anxiety is from. And then you now have your authority of choice. Do you want to move in a space that continues to give you anxiety? And maybe sometimes you do, because I mean, honestly, there's things that will continuously give us anxiety mm -hmm. or like, is it, but it's how do you address it now? Like, okay. how do you move through it? How do you manage yourself so you can still fulfill right. this or do this, you know? It's a, um, or maybe it's like remove yourself, you know? Right, right. I was going to say, like, entrepreneurship is anxiety-inducing. Oh, my God. <laughs> you lean into it, you know, so, but it's like about knowing, you know, I, I react in X, Y, Z ways when I have anxiety. That doesn't mean I'm not going to leap. That doesn't mean I'm not going to go for the things that stress me out. I'm not going to like just surrender to just being in like safe space, things that are comfortable for me. But it's like when I do enter those spaces, what am I going to do about it? How am I going to manage it? Yeah. Right? I always like one of my intentions I always put is like, God, like, thank you for not allowing me to use my anxieties as an excuse. Because mm -hmm. that is also a thing that's Sometimes I'm more so like self-care, self-love, you know, but yeah, no, you're exactly right. Like, I, I think it's that, like, I think that gives you grace, like just giving yourself like time to navigate. And, mm -hmm. and, and I think then it comes because it's like our, our anxieties affect other people too. And mm -hmm. I think when you're able to navigate that, then you're able to like, oh, wow, maybe how I'm moving is affecting this person. Mm -hmm. and like, oh, how yeah. I want to address it. Should I not address it? Okay, I'm going to address it because I care about them. And mm -hmm. I want to, I'm not going to address it because I don't care about it. Yeah, you don't care about having right. that relationship or whatever. I think it's, it takes time. It's like, mm -hmm. I, I go through that process all the time. Like, right. take time to breathe, figure out where it's all coming from, navigate where that's at, why, you know? I feel like sometimes we're rushed to figure out our things and it's like, can we take a breath? Like, yeah. can I breathe? Right. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, and not taking for granted too that we know ourselves fully. Like, it is a journey of getting to know yourself. And that, really, especially as black women, like our intuition is, that's us. That's like a voice. That's, a, that's mm -hmm. a connection, right? Like even if you're not Christian, wherever your mm -hmm. God comes from, that's like, that's ancestrally. That's like your, that's, that's someone telling you like, no, 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 listen to me. Yeah, yeah. Like that's God speaking through you. You know what I mean? Yeah. A lot of the things that block us from listening to our intuition is anxiety, like <laughs> is other voices yeah. and 
So it's like for us to get more connected to ourselves, we have to like just figure out where all those voices mm-hmm. are coming from in our head. Like where yeah. are all these agreements and insecurities and things coming from? And that's hard work. No one's like, let me take a dive in into my insecurities today and figure out <laughs> what this one's about. You know, you need help. You need yeah. a therapist. You need friends. You don't need to do this all by yourself. And I, I think that's the one thing is having people, having your community, yeah. like someone you can talk to. Uh, the last thing I was just going to say, I was like at the tip of my tongue, but I wanted to end with you, not me, was that last week I told all my friends, like, don't text me. I'm, t- I'm spending this week, I'm spending this week in silence because yeah. I need to like the space to like, just listen to my thoughts. Um, I need to like block out the noise. I'll be back in business on Friday. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah. I need to do that. Like an at home <laughs> silent retreat. Yes, I really do. I have yeah. myself, so I'm always like having a silent yeah. retreat. Like, I need to still do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. I so appreciate this. This was so nice. No, thank you. I feel like, yeah, everything creating this platform, I love that you're doing this because one, like, you're our first, like, our partnership for podcast sponsors. So that was amazing. But just like, you're creating a space for voices, like, for Black women to tell their truth, you know, yeah. like, just talk about life. And I just, I love it. That's, that's what I love the it. Life, about. I swear. Life, I swear. Right? Like, I swear. <laughs> like, like, literally, you swear. I swear. I know, like, honestly, like, how it started was me and my girlfriend, we were roommates at the time in Harlem, and we would stay up for no reason, like, no reason at all, up at three in the morning, talking about life, too tired, but we were, we would just end every conversation just naturally, like, it's just, like, life, man, I swear, and that really means, like, all the things, like, you know, heartbreak, it's strength, it's, like, confusion, it's ambiguity, it's, like, irony of all of the things you know um and I just think it's so important for us to black women to just be able to just be real with ourselves first but we're inspired to be real with ourselves when we can hear other women echo some of the similar like pain points in life and I I just find it really like interesting and just to like peel back all the things and get the the fire under our seat to like be our best show up for ourselves humbly and with grace heal all the ego aside and just be like raw with each other so thank you for coming (laughs) i love it all right Thank you for listening to Life I Swear. You can follow Life I Swear on Instagram. And if you haven't yet, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you get your podcast fix. And learn more at lifeiswear.com. I hope you join me next week for another episode. In the meantime, be well, friend.